All right, and we're almost ready to roll. We're ready to roll. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. This is a particularly Yuletide festive episode. I've got my Christmas jumper on here, which I'm appreciating the irony. It is Santa pulling a reindeer on the sleigh. Why should the reindeers be the ones that get forced into all of that manual labour when Santa quite honestly could do with losing a few pounds himself, you know what I mean? Uh, but anyway, welcome to VUX World. Today I am delighted to bring you a rather festive episode of VUX World with the one and only Frank Schneider. Now the long-time VUX fans will be aware of Frank Schneider. Frank first appeared on the podcast in 2018, I think was actually in the top first 20 guests on VUX World. And he's had this kind of knack of managing to pretty much feature on the VUX World podcast every year for the past five years. Uh, we had one, we had one year where Frank wasn't part of the podcast, and I don't know why that, that why that was and what happened there. Maybe it was the pandemic. Who knows? But please welcome, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, back Frank Schneider for the fifth time on VUX World. Some kind of a record. It is Frank Schneider. Frank, welcome to the podcast. Hey, my brother, so good to see you. Uh, first of all, yeah, listen, I'm uber competitive in general and as a fan as well as a participant in VUX world uh you know i consider myself almost a brand advocate for you all um yeah i i need that fifth and you know let, let me know who catches me because uh then i i gotta pitch you heavy to get sixth but <laughs> I, you know there's nothing wrong with lap in the field i'm here but listen from day one back in 2018 when when i was running speakeasy ai uh You've been a great supporter of us. I've always been a great supporter of yours. So mainly I'm grateful for you having me back. This is my first appearance here at Verant. Um, I'm also kind of festive. So I looked all over the house for I have this notorious B.I.G. sweatshirt for the holidays. It's like I won't call it an ugly sweater because it would be too disrespectful to to, <laughs> to Billy Smalls. But it's it's him and it says, I wonder why Christmas missed us. And from from the Juicy, his, his first single. And I couldn't find it anywhere. So instead, I'm rocking, um, even despite their loss Monday night, the Eagles throwback Kelly Green, Randall Cunningham, who's greatest Eagles quarterback of all time, and a red button down underneath. So so I'm trying to do the red and green. I'm trying to stay festive. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to have a conversation today. Like we always do. I just love chatting you up on these things and seeing if it's useful for people that are out there. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, I got a uh, the one time I was in Philly uh, in 2020, I managed to bring home an Eagles uh, kind of baby outfit, which at the time fit Artie pretty well. And I kept it. I was actually going to put it up in my office, and then we went ahead and got a uh, a second child, so it actually fits in now. So he's wearing it. He's, you've got a Philly supporter over here in uh, in the UK. So Wolfie's rocking it now. You know, we, we got to teach him the E A G L E S Eagles chant, <laughs> the Flybirds, Fly Eagles Fly song. Um, there's lots of fun stuff there. But that's respect. <laughs> you're raising them right. That's just good parenting. You know, and, and really anything that avoids being a Cowboys fan is you're already kind of one step ahead. But if you're also Eagles fan, that that's that's the cream on on top exactly exactly and uh, I I have got you a little something uh, which I can show you shortly for being the fifth the the, the first person to reach five episodes I got the hat for the hat trick what's up you got the hat for the hat trick it took me a little while to get that hat to you Uh, I only actually ended up giving you the hat like a year after you were on the podcast three times but instead of the hat yes A very special, one-of-a-kind, limited edition, not very many made in the world at all, Whoa. VUX World hoodie. Oh, oh yeah. So and, there you go. 
It's the Wu-Tang colors, as I like. It's Wu-Tang colors, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Black. Yes, really I, just needs a W on the back, but... Uh, that's but, a fantastic. But there you go. Thank, I so appreciate it. I hope I get to get it in person. I hope you come over stateside again next year. Um, yeah. So no need to ship if we're going to hang out and have a bourbon <laughs> or something. But that's really cool. Thank you. I'm very grateful. Nice one. You know, to keep it Philly-themed, you know, we, you know, one of the reasons why I love UX World, your brand, your pod, everything is it's a very noisy market, a very crowded space. There's a lot of hype. There's something new every other week, right, going on. The pace change is insane. And you and your team keep it a bean, as we say in Philly, which is, you know, keeping it real or keeping it 100. Um, you guys just do an amazing job. It's funny. I'm laughing thinking of your face on the bullshit man thing you used to do. <laughs> but uh, we just appreciate your authentic voice, trying to trying to sift through the noise for folks. And especially, you know, I like to say power to the practitioner. You know, hopefully there's practitioners on here listening and not just vendors and analysts. And uh, you, you always try to help make sense of it for them. So props to you, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's that's the uh, that's the goal, really, isn't it? You know, there's uh, distilling distilling all of the kind of noisiness and messiness out there, and trying to pluck out pluck out the the things to pay attention to, the most important things, and also definitely encouraging best practice as it comes as far as design, development, implementation, um, planning, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, appreciate appreciate that. Uh, you mentioned there's been a lot going on. There has been a hell of a lot going on. This year has been absolutely wild. And so we've got a little, uh, little game to play a little bit later on, which is the Naughty and Nice list. And we're going to go through some of the developments, some of the situations, players, products, things like that, uh, that have been occurring in the 2023. And we're going to see whether those uh, those things are naughty or nice and why. Uh, so so let's do that in uh, in just a minute. But um, yeah, so how has it been then over the last sort of, well, I know that the acquisition was a while back. You, the, the calendar year, I suppose, 2023 coming to a close you mentioned there that the pace of change has been very fast, which it has every second. Every second, second, there's something else going on. That's that's a new product development, a new announcement, a new headline about this company or that company. It's funding, it's new products, it's all kinds of stuff happening at such a rapid pace. How is uh, how how have you been over the last sort of like twelve months, and and what's your assessment of the way things have been? Yeah, I mean it's. It's obviously not hyperbole to say things will change while we're on this call, while we're doing this podcast. That's how insane and fun it has been. And I guess for me, when I think about the market outside, what I'm most excited about is um, I don't think, you know, depending on who you're reading, that it's necessarily overhyped. And and I'm I'm loving that aspect, depending on who you're who you're sort of following and, and consuming content from. You know, I, I used to always joke with you compared to sort of Watson writing songs with Bob Dylan or winning on Jeopardy or curing cancer or, you know, whatever Google was doing with CCI when they first launched and respect both those brands and the stack they have now. But with all of the sort of advancements with generative AI and LMs and the, the pace is going to continue. It's incredible. It's I'm excited to see what happens with the new oil, which is what all the data is being used. I'm excited to see brands, not to get into future thing, have their own LLMs. Like JP Morgan Chase has their own LLM. Um, I'm excited that no one can sit on the sidelines anymore. So when it went, you know, you have to engage with this. It's not um, this cute little chatbot on a corner, although, the, you know, chatbots still have utility now because they can be super infused with this new rocket fuel. But man, it's just, we all have to engage on this. It's no longer about digital transformation. It's about business transformation. It's no longer about 
decision trees. It's about sort of actually having sort of conversational goodness across. You and I were talking yesterday about concentric circles, conversations with an AI about the conversational interface, about the flow that you're building, and then the data that's coming out of it. Um, yeah, I'm sorry if I'm all over the place, but so I'm blown away and I'm super excited. I, I feel super well positioned and grateful to be at Varent because now what I get to do is all of the the things that I learned and I got to experience at the forefront with Moshe and the Speakeasy AI solution and our customers and partners now embedded within Varent and seeing, I mean, they have something like four million agents on their technology across the world, right? They're, they're sort of the, one of the, the two brands, Pepsi and Coke of things you have to buy in, in the contact center when it comes to call recording and WFO and WFE. So now I get to sort of see this whole new arena of data and customer engagement where now I can peek around corners with generative AI and see where we're headed. So um, I'm kind of getting to cake, eat my cake and eat, have my cake and eat it too, or whatever the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the cliche is. Um, but yeah, the, the last 12 months have been insane. And for us, for us here at Varent, you know, Speakeas, if, if anyone was a fan of Speakeas, which I hope there are a few on here, um, we're super happy where we're at. And primarily because our ethos and what we were trying to do has dovetailed so nicely with, you know, Dan Bodner, Jamie Merritt, sort of our, our CEO and our chief product officer and the way they see the world among other executives, you know, our CTO, Rob Scudieri, who's unbelievable, um, you know, and, and Varen itself has gone through sort of this, this change of, you know, Dan often says we're Varent 4.0. So like I talked about Pepsi and Coke of call recording, you know, we, if, if you sort of called a contact center in the early 2000s and heard, you know, your call may be recorded for quality assurance purposes. It was typically us doing that, right? So think about all that data we were consuming and think about the trust that brands had in us that we were one of the leaders and trailblazers in that space, you know, from government to to private sector. So, you know, Varant 1.0 was that call recording world. Varant 2.0 was like, okay, now we have recorded all these calls and we see these human agent interactions with customers how do we sort of optimize quality assurance and make sure, you know, customers and agents are getting what they need done. Um, you know, 3.0 was workforce engagement management, sort of a continuation of let's go beyond QA and scheduling to, you know, really providing assistance and sort of rich knowledge management and analytics into what has transpired and using BI to sort of get to that next level. So now 4.0 is, we, you and I talked a little bit about sort of open and we talked about this podcast technology you're using right now mm-hmm. and how open source inherently has extensibility. Um, and for us, the future for Verit 4.0 and where we're at right now already is taking that rich engagement data that we've been sitting on, that we've been so, um, we've been trusted with and we've carefully curated and managed and then deliver AI and thread it throughout the workforce. And some of those might be bots, right? Which is really, you know, using a service and a model to get a result, a business outcome, but infusing AI into those workflows and then workflows and then openness, right? So Varent calls it open CCAS. So this idea that, you know, what you really want to do in this future world where people are going to have their own LLMs eventually, right? And and try to figure out how to use generative AI is you need an extensible customer and agent orchestration platform. Like it's it's almost orchestration as a service. Like how do you allow your clients, your customers, your partners build, deploy, share, and maintain applications and integrations 
across your entire contact center stack. So for us, a lot of, as you know, in my world, a lot of that AI relates to contact center, right? And all of it has to be powered by AI, but not just our own proprietary AI, but what's commercially available out there. Because there's a new fuel that you have to use every other week, right? Or that you might want to explore. And you might want to use BARD for one thing and use, you know, a, a, you know a open AI for another thing. So when you look at that or chat GPT, you're trying to think about, you know, how do I ensure that things are secure and compliant? How does that extensibility sort of, maintain with that security and compliance and how do I know these results are val validated or you know you, you can validate what you're getting out of it and then you know a word I like to use a lot right now and I know I'm spitting a lot to get us started um, is scrutability right you know we often say things in terms of it's inscrutable scrutability is so key to the future of AI because people are going to want to know almost from an AI governance or data lineage perspective what was used to train this model how did you get out of it what you got and explain and decipher why I'm okay with this. And so scrutability is not something I thought of sort of in 2012 to 2017, even when I was at Creative Virtual. It's, man, we really need to get under the hood on this because everyone's going to be using it. Um, so how was that for a word salad? For, yeah, yeah. Is <laughs> that helpful? Good. Yeah, yeah. To in the variant world as well. Uh, yeah, lo lots to unpack there as well. I think like a couple of areas which are interesting is that one last year, I mean, Verant has acquired a number of different companies over the last few years, as you would imagine. And it's kind of gone from that call recording and it's kind of worked its way around the telephony stack, if you like. And and mm -hmm. it's similar, I suppose, to how some other CCAS vendors have kind of approached it as well, you know, acquiring companies to build out the full sort of um, the full suite of capabilities so that you only need to go to one place. Um, there's others that have speak spoke with who have a different approach and I, I honestly don't know how long that would last which is that on the conversational ai side not touching it whatsoever and just being like well find yourself a platform and plug it in here you know um yeah. which i think is a bit unusual you know if you look at most of the lead and ccast providers they've all attempted to whether customers are using it or not is a different question but at least they are building the capabilities so that you have that one place to go and yeah. You know how important is it that yes, being open is is definitely kind of a good place to be, and I, and I honestly think that the way that the technology is developing, the way the open source kind of models are, are moving and progressing, that you need to be open to yep. have a client bring whatever tools, technologies, and capabilities they need, um, but at the same time they need a place to start, and so that kind of like go to one place, have the whole kind of shop window to kind of to go from it is kind of i can see how the market is moving that way you know the ccas vendors yeah. integrating down over into the siloed capabilities maybe yeah. even we'll see some of those siloed capabilities like the third party vendors try and integrate up over into the ccas space i don't know maybe that's kind of what verant is doing but um yeah, yeah what's your what's your perceptive perceptions on the importance of from a client perspective yeah. Being having the option to begin the journey with everything all in one place, all the capabilities you need together. Yeah, it's interesting. I I feel like you also touched on a lot there in that in that lead into the question. I feel like you know I I tend to put the people who are in this marketplace into like three buckets. There's sort of the big 
AI players like Google with Google CCAI, you know, maybe even Meta, you know, folks like that, right? Amazon with, with Lex and Connect, right? And then you have the traditional CCAS players, so like the Five Nines, the Nice and Contacts and Hawk Desks and folks like that. And, and Genesis is also in that bucket, of course, although they have a legacy prem sort of environment too. And then the third bucket is like the, the Cognities, the Core.AIs, the sort of conversational AI people that have always, you know, they started with digital chatbots and they've always had challenges trying to figure out voice. And we share a little bit of each bucket. And I think what we've assembled is the ability to have, a, you know, a new game, a, a new transformation, a way of, of, of approaching this that fits the way the market should adopt things. So for us, you know, you, you sort of put us in the CCAS bucket, which we don't mind being, but the reality is CCAS for most people, when you hear that term, you're thinking of IVR and ACD, right? Mm. Like, do you have a place to get the calls in and get them and deliver them to agents? So, you know, that's the sort of nice and the in-contact bucket or the five-nine bucket, right? And then Amazon and Google kind of pickle that or play with that, whether through partners or through some of their own native technology. And Core and, and those folks, they're not even touching that world. They just want to integrate with it, right? So for us, we see the old game of sort of CCAS as a closed environment, right? The the sort of the, the genesis of the world, the nice, the content, even though they say, hey, integrate everything, we have an app store, we would say that's a telephony first approach, which inherently is, is more closed. And all of your applications and integrations that you might have to your system are out of the box. Hey, we've built these for you, we've built these APIs, whatever, here they are, here's how you connect to Salesforce and things like that, which, which is good until you run out of sort of um, hey, how much control do I have over this API and this integration? And, you know, how much customization is there really here? And, and, and you know, then lastly, because of the way they're, orchest they're, they're sort of set up, there's a lot of siloed reporting by application vendor or channel. And the pace of innovation in these sort of telephony first players is dictated by them. Their pace of innovation is only through them or your pace of innovation for your solution is dictated by them and their development team or their resources, their commercial interests, as well as their approved partners. And I would say that the future is you you can't, we talked about, we started with how fast things are moving, right? Mm -hmm. You can't be slowed down by someone else's larger commercial interests when you're trying to figure out how to orchestrate this contact center stack with AI at the core. So when we say OpenCCAS platform, we're saying centralized control of applications for customer experience orchestration, optimized automation, and we're open in our box. So like we have a product called IVA Studio, which really could just be called Studio. So it's for our, our AI building, but it's also to provide that extensibility for that orchestration. So for us, it's kind of, I joke, it's open in the box. So yes, we have some widgets and some plugins and some integrations to some common things that everyone has plugged into, like I mentioned Salesforce before, right? Or other people's IVRs, like 5.9 IVR and ACD. But the reality is we want you to be able to build and, you know, think about the, the GPT store, right? Which I know we're going to touch on later. Mm -hmm. We want you to be empowered to build and customize and extend solutions and integrations on your own. And then if that widget is good and you found something, hey, can, can we make that usable for our other customers, right? It's kind of what the future in this kind of world is. So, you know, and then CX reporting really has to be about all applications, all vendors, all channels, you know, Varen, you know, our CEO often talks about open best of breed. What that really means is whatever you want to buy to plug into your contact center tech stack, including AI. So you sort of asked me, hey, what about using your own conversational AI or not touching conversational AI? For us, we have our own and we think it's fantastic, right? But also conversational AI is only as good as insert all the caveats you read on every blog post ever here, right? Yeah. I don't even say but 
agnostic of that, if you say, hey, you know, I really built something cool over here that I want to use, but I want to orchestrate it with all of these other technologies, mindful of all the data and in a, in a vet, with a vendor I can trust, that's us. So bring that to the fold. We want to be able to orchestrate that within IVA Studio. So it's not just our IVA, it could be other IVAs. And ultimately, we don't want to slow people down anymore. The pace is so fast. We want to keep you safe and compliant and secure. And that's where Varent knocks it out of the park. We have every acronym, acronym known to man, whether it be CBNI, right? We got all that, right? We've been in government forever. So for us, it's rapidly deploy innovative new solutions while maintaining that compliance, safety, and control. And that was always what we were chasing with AI. We're saying it goes beyond any contact center applications, but it's, okay, so now the AI is getting really exciting and really good, and there's some cool tuning you can do and some custom LLM work you can do, but who can do that? And who can do that without, you know, I would say the, the three buckets again, I would say the big players, and they're partners of ours, and, and they need us to partner for a lot of the, the products and applications that we have, as well as the trust that we have. And the reality is they need us as a partner because their legacy is not contact center trust, you know, and, and so so we kind of we kind of have an extra layer of trust and credibility in how to handle contact center enrichment data or engagement data that they just don't, they're just not there yet. And they might not want to ever be there, right? You talk about people washing their hands of it. Like, we'll let Varen handle that. And then the CCAS providers, the traditional ones, they just have for lack of a better term, immense tech debt because of that CCAS investment. They mm -hmm. have to sell that IVR and ACD. They just have to. Mm -hmm. So for us, we, we that's plumbing. You know, it's funny. You think about the old speakeasy stuff. Remember the website used to say, don't rip and replace. And my analogy yeah, yeah. I always used to use was, it's just PVC piping. We want to give you an elegant bathroom renovation. <laughs> it's really the same thing in play, but just a grander scale with an even bigger vision with Dan and all the people here at, at Varent is – fine. You know, it's just plumbing, right? But what you want to be able to do is that interface to your customers, that front door to your customers, how you pull that data and how you use it and how you use this new rocket fuel across the board. You want that to be safely, properly managed and we can do that. And then the third bucket, you know, the sort of, uh, the ones I'm worried for are the ones I used to live in, you know, the, mm. the, the sort of the conversational AI, you know, origin story vendors, right? Mm. And I've noticed that the ones who are doing well are kind of like, um, the people who do design time well. So, mm -hmm. you know, design time, you know, what does what your conversation flow look like, right? Think about like voice flow. Design time is elegant, right? Really nice design time. But how does that design time get to run time? And do you have a vendor who can do both design time and run time? And then the third, as well as orchestrate all these other investments. And, you know, mm -hmm. for me, I've always been living in sort of an enterprise place or these big brands. And the idea that everyone, the idea that Comcast, will throw all of their AI investments into one bucket and just say, this is it. Especially mm. when their own Comcast labs are doing some of the most exciting stuff on their own with AI, right? And they're mm. building on their own. So these power users who have been around for a little bit, right? Like, and I, I always loved meeting with and consulting with power users, the Comcast, the Bank of America's, the Capital mm. One. But now um, power users are going to be regional banks. Power users yeah. are going to be um, you know, backcountry or retailer power users are going to be Nike, you know, although huge brand, but still, you know, the, not, not the traditional place you would think. So power yeah. users are going to cross market size. They're going to cross retailers and will there still be need for FAQ chatbots and a, and a slick, you know, design time kit? Sure. In, in the short term, but everyone is going to be marching towards this power user mentality and how do you address them? So 
I'm super, right, my role as evangelist, I'm super excited and passionate about how uniquely positioned Varen is because yeah. I just feel like we don't have the conflict of interests in regards to, nor the closed technology tech debt of a CCAS, right? Um, a traditional CCAS, sort of yeah. telephony first CCAS. We are truly authentically open. Uh, I feel like our AI assets, obviously I'm a little bit biased because of where I come from, right? Are our next level and our thinking, you know, Moshe and, and the folks in product development and Rob, our CTO and Henry, they're all thinking three steps ahead. And that's fantastic. And then the data that we're lucky enough to sit on, we are sitting on oil wells, you know, that, mm. that not everyone has. And our oil wells are safe. It's not all of the information of the internet. It's not mm. all of the things that Facebook pulled from ads and Instagram. It's stuff that's always been vetted and tried and true and, and maintained with appropriate vigilance relative to government and, you know, customer, you know, regulation. Mm. There's also a lot of data that, and I, I don't know what the agreements between Verint and its clients are, but all of that call recording data spanning back decades is absolute gold dust material for the creation of not just the conversation analytics pieces which Verent has and stuff like that, but like the customizing AI models, language models specifically, around the nature of conversation, the patterns around customer service interactions, and all of that kind of and I don't know whether or not that's kind of happening, happened or will happen again, because it if the client if if the data belongs to Bank of America, for example, it's not something that, even though they, I don't know if they're Verant very yeah. client or not, but you know what I'm saying? It's like Verant yeah. has a client, they're using call recording technology, that's mm -hmm. kind of their data. But if there's a way in which Verant can safely and with permission get access to various bits of data, which it has, has historically, you've got so much data there to build, you know, a proper true model that will understand conversations, which is not what the current foundation models do. The foundation models now, they're just very broad language yep. generally, but creating yep. and designing conversations is different, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's when I talk about that trust, again, I'll leave it to my R&D team and my CTO and, and not, you know, step out of bounds saying what we train on and what we use and what we don't use. But everything we do is done within the parameters of, you know, serious oversight and regulatory compliance and not everyone else can say that and it's because of like you mentioned we've been living this same world just without ai involved well i, I guess you could argue ai always has been involved but without gen ai involved at this level um so when we go ahead and release things like like we have a call summarization bot and we have a um a wrap up bot and these are things that you know you know again we call them bots but it's really using a certain model to deliver a service or an RPA flow and then call that a bot to get the business outcome, right? Mm. So, you know, these, these things that extend the platform, um, obviously what we're using to train and what we're using to create these, um, that's the difference between using us for these things, which you could use a generative AI model off the shelf to do a call. Like Gen AI and LLMs do summarization quite well. Well, mm. why, why would you want to do it with Varen compared to on your own? Because you must have that scrutability, you must have that trust and that compliance, and you must have it work well and orchestrate with your other investments in a way that also maintains all of that regulatory compliance and that safety. You know, I'll keep using the word safety, and that, that's us. So um, as adoption increases, and the adoption curve is insane right now, right, um, you know, it's, we're going to be uniquely positioned. So, so it's, it's, it's super exciting. Nice. Nice one. That sounds good. Uh, all right. So 
let's uh, let's. Uh, I was just looking at a comment there. Screw, screwability, like in the ability to screw something. No, I think we I think we talk scrutability, Miguel, oh, which is yeah. scrutability, the ability to scrutinize something. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yes. But I actually, I actually, <laughs> I actually, that's a, that's a power of uh, voice technology, there, isn't it? Yeah, uh, ASR's made that mistake. Uh, I think there's something to that because uh, the definitely what has occurred in the last twelve months is that governments and regulatory bodies have certainly woken up to AI. Certainly, mm. I don't think you know. You were saying earlier on that like you don't think that all of this stuff is hype. I don't think that the regulators and governments really fully understand the true potential of this technology. I think they can see it, oh, it's going to interfere with elections and there's loads of potential for fraud and people might get ripped off and stuff like that. But like, yep. that's, 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 the, that's such a short-term concern. You know, that's, that's a next election concern. That's not a 10 years time concern. 10 years time concern where autonomous kind of agents without any human involvement whatsoever are ferrying about integrating with different capabilities, accessing various services and data points, you know, ingesting data on their own, creating mm-hmm. brand new capabilities and processes and conversations without people even knowing. It's a little bit like, it's a bit like the, did you, did you, I don't know if over that side of the world you heard about the Cambridge Analytica kind of scandal that oh, yeah. happened over Brexit. That, that was a few years ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was It was when the UK were going through Brexit. What yep. Cambridge Analytica managed to figure out was, because the, the thing was there was some, some sort of shady data access going on and they were using data for reasons that they shouldn't be using it for. But what they managed to do is they identified a segment of the population in the UK that one segment is highly likely to vote Brexit and so they just didn't even concern themselves with that side. It's like, okay, they're going to vote Brexit, let them vote yeah. Brexit. Another side of a certain percentage of people were always going to vote Remain. And so they said, let's not worry about those. So they were brought on board by the Brexit party to run ads to convince people to vote for Brexit. So what they did is, through various bits of data analysis, they identified, it was some, I don't, I might be wrong here, but it's something like this. This is akin to what, what, the, what the thing is. Something like 3 million Facebook profiles that were on the border. They could vote Brexit. They might not vote Brexit. Like the, there's three million people that could be influenced, and it just so happens that if those three million people voted one way or the other, that would tip the the vote. Yeah. So what they did is they spent the 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 Brexit party spent round about something like three billion pound on advertising to those three million people. So those three million people opened Facebook. And all they're getting is intense advertisements about Brexit. The rest of the country doesn't even know that those adverts are happening, doesn't even know that those people are seeing it because your newsfeed is private to you. You don't know what, I don't know what you're going to see on your newsfeed. You don't know what I'm going to see. So if I'm one of those people that might be on the fence, I'm getting targeted with all of this ads and eventually that sways me into making a different decision. The reason why I think that's similar to, there's a parallel with kind of where AI may be going is that, Potentially, there is a world where an AI agent is creating other AI agents or creating other processes that are engaged in certain activity, and all of that is happening completely under the radar of everyone, including law enforcement, including the government. And so the potential for damage is huge. 
yep. and not even like brand damage and litigation damage from someone selling someone an insurance policy that they don't really can sell them or whatever. I'm talking about like, you know, serious fraud, serious kind of like population manipulation, like all kinds of stuff potentially can happen. So the conversation around going back to your point of addressing safety and talking about safety all the time, I don't even think we've started the safety conversation, not even to the extent that it should be had. Properly. Yeah. Yeah. No, not, not properly for sure. Um, it's funny. I'll send you, uh, I, I got to find the YouTube clip. I'll send you a talk on it that I really like that I'm, it's slipping my mind after this, but I'll find yeah. it on my YouTube history. But, um, you know, it's kind of what OpenAI was originally supposed to be on some level, right? It was supposed to be yeah. a nonprofit that was going to be ahead of the curve on this. And, you know, I, far be it for me to act like I know what a board is thinking sometimes because boards are quite unpredictable, although it can also be awesome and, and good. But whatever's going on between Sam and the board and the back and forth and then winding up Microsoft, I, you know, what I read and what I smell is it seems to be a little bit about commercialization and whether or not they were going to be nonprofit, right? And whether or mm-hmm. not they were going to sort of worry about bias. But yeah, what you point out is true. You know, it's, if if we're going to get to a point where, and I think we're almost there, where we can say, you know, if you think about the different types of bias, let's say it's, um, um, you know, groupthink bias, right? Turn up the groupthink bias monitor to seven, and then you see what that that Twitter or X feed is looking like. Oh, well, you know, that's not that's not enough groupthink or confirmation bias. Turn confirmation bias up to 10 for this groupthink bias. And you can have sort of algorithms around layers of bias and, and sort of A-B test what you're trying to do and influence. So it, it, it's pretty scary and, you know, in that sense, but it's ripe with opportunity, you know, when if we get um, regula- the balance between regulatory you know, compliance and innovation struck properly. Uh, far be it for me to say the governments are going to get it right. Um, but yeah, it, what concerned me originally, you know, to be blunt, is that it was the big four, you know, who showed up for the first meeting, like here in the U.S. at least. I know because, uh, you know, EMEA is doing their own thing as well. But here in the U.S., I obviously have a bias towards things that are near me locally. Um, you know, I, I think it was, you know, Zuckerberg and, you know, the CEO of Google, the CEO of Microsoft that showed up for the first meeting, right? And I think, I'm, I don't even know if Amazon went, Amazon went and gone as well, but I'm like, okay, well, is this really about regulatory or is this about also, you know, locking down the innovation path so that way there's some commercial interest tied to it, you know, not to be a skeptic. Mm. But, um, you know, I, I'm curious to see what happens with open AI. I'm curious to see, I remember there was something out a while ago called the the equal AI initiative or something like that. I, you know, I, I wonder if, you know, will there be a, and not to go conspiracy theorists and create, but will there be a WHO of AI, you know, where mm. there'll be a global governing body that can sort of help, you know, will, will the UN have a role? Um, all, all of those th- these things matter. Not, I love the way you sort of discussed that sort of, hey, here's some things that we have to worry about because it wasn't Terminator. You know, we're, we're not talking about mm-hmm. that kind of hyperbole, right? We're talking about access to information, everything being confirmation, you know, conversational. And we've already seen, it's funny, I, I think about, you know, I'm a member of, uh, I think I'm a member of Gen X. And I think about one of our like sins, right? Like every generation has a, skin, a sin. And one of our sins is that we didn't, we didn't sort of monitor social media properly. Right. Like mm-hmm. we, we didn't keep it out of kids' hands. It wasn't wasn't like a pack of cigarettes where we said you can't get it till you're 18. And you know, what social media has done and what we've seen, I think about the exciting, I think about Arab Spring and spread of democracy and the good things and the connections that were happening, you know, sort of around that time. Uh, and I was like, wow, 
It's amazing what we can do when we're all connected like this. But then we're also not supposed to all be connected like this in other ways at times. Mm. Or we're not supposed to have an algorithm feed us into a silo down a wormhole where all we have is confirmation bias and groupthink bias and all of those you know, representative sample biases and all those things that sort of, you know, can play on our worst natures, have us isolated, and all we get fed is information that continues down that bias path. You know, yeah. what media is, again, we're getting off, uh, but what media is and what truth is, it gets lost. Um, and it's it's uh, not that I'm the smartest, you know, the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I think I'm relatively intelligent and educated enough that I can usually try to sift out truth from something or try to figure out what's going on. But it, it's it's challenging for me every day, you know, trying yeah. to figure out what's going on in the world. Um, so, so yeah, so to me, I would hope that as the bigger players, like I said, no one's sitting on the sideline now, you know, as much as I'm sometimes skeptical of the private sector, I also hope that for the sake of the world, we start to come together, you know, not just waiting for the w, for a version of the WHO on AI because that also has some risks and problems or you know the UN to address it, but we come together and try to figure this out in ways. But it's still an arms race for revenue right now, right? Yeah. If you look at the AI stuff, and it's still an arm race for, you know, like I said, if everyone, I do think everyone's going to have their own LLM, like every major brand's going to have their own LLM. So data is oil and that's going to be the oil race and, and having access to that. And is that going to get in the way of us trying to solve this properly? Because, you know, I think what's going to happen is, you know, the big, the big players are going to want to cut brands off from accessing their oil and using their oil, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's, I, I certainly don't have any answers, right? I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, man, well, we've taken out a dark path despite it being holiday and festive. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like, the good news is for for bad or good, because this is, you know, because my grandmother has heard the words chat GPT um, and she's 91. And because this is so everywhere now, it's going to, I would like to be optimistic for human, um, you know, to, just, to, just for humanity in general, that we're going to find a path because it's not hidden in some dark corner anymore. It's not mm. something that some people are working on that no one knows about. Like, you know, there, there's a new whistleblower article about whether it be OpenAI or something else every other week, but it's almost like they weren't needed. Everyone knows, like the, the cat's out of the bag. The whistleblower articles I read these days are not that exciting to me. I'm like, oh, of course, we got to figure this out. So, so that that makes me optimistic in a way that I, I don't think it's going to be able to be done in secret. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think you know that's a good sort of even though it's a holiday festive episode uh, I, think, <laughs> I think i think that that's a fair that's a i think a fair genuine reflection of the last sort of year which is this question about you know now that people have seen the the potential power of this thing and people's mm. imaginations can kind of run now that they've seen something tangible it's kind of definitely an important conversation to have is 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 exactly that like reg not necessarily regulation but safety control openness stuff safety. like that and i yeah. you know you were saying there that that like gen x uh, gen x's responsibility was social media and it, as as great as social media is and has been it also has been responsible for a lot of not just exactly. anxiety and stress but suicides and all sorts yeah. and so like yeah. I, I i don't actually think that there's a way really where anything really has just all good side effects no doubt there, there, there will be some sort of to it and froing you know um but if, but it I think, feels like we let the cons 
that's what I blame myself for. We let the cons uh, rise to the surface more swiftly than I think we yeah. should have. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Um, cool. All right, so let's let's get on to a game of not your nice, shall we? Uh, we've kind of we've kind of alluded to some to some uh, to some of the the topics we might discuss here. So fairly quick fire. Don't have to spend a, a decade on it. But we'll just I'll, I'm going to read out some oh. names, uh, some concepts, some things that have occurred in the last sort of twelve months or so, and uh, we'll have a, a debate about whether it's naughty or nice. Yeah, I'm like, naughty list or the nice list. By by all means, feel free to uh, to throw some suggestions out. And if you yeah. are tuning in on LinkedIn or YouTube, also if you want to be involved, stick some comments in there, and we'll pick up those pick up That'd those concepts. Cool. All right. Uh, so starting point, the mm-hmm. logical place to start would be OpenAI as a company. Naughty or nice this year? It's maybe I'm in the mind. I'm still gonna say nice. Because yeah. I'm just I'm just so thrilled with what we're getting to play with and what we're we're getting to do, you know. And hey, like this weekend, on a weekend, hanging out with my daughter, I'm playing with on GitHub, uh, screen to code. I told you about that. Like, hey, would I have been doing that before generative AI came to the fore? I know it's been around for a little bit, but before the explosion of the last year in OpenAI, hell no. So that was really fun and cool, not to be selfish. Um, it's obviously going to change the way businesses do business professionally. It's going to change the way um, society works, we, t- we touched on, right? And there, it's fraught with risk, and Sam has had his drama back and forth with the board and things like that. It, it, it smells like maybe there's still going to be a nonprofit component of open AI, and then Sam's going to be over at Microsoft doing some things and making some money for Microsoft. And if all of that works out the way it should, hopefully, I, I, I can't, it, like you said about the crows, like there's always some negative, plenty of negative, but I have to mainly put them on the nice list. I mean, we wouldn't, what would this episode be without them, right? So, so I got to say nice. Where, where, where are you at? Very true. I would say on balance, nice. I think yeah. that, uh, as you said, you mentioned there, you know, playing with uh, that plugin on, on GitHub with your daughter. Ar- Artie, my son, has got himself into this uh, little routine where now that he knows that he can just say something to my phone, and have it generate an image. He's just, you know, a bear yeah. on the toilet reading the paper, being interrupted by a slice of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so definitely, definitely nice. I think the the caution for OpenAI, which I think was um, partly surfaced during the whole debacle at the start of the start of November with the whole kind of board thing, was that obviously it was intended to be an open company. Yes, a charity, and the interests have started to skew more commercially. Which wow. you know, you can. Uh, they need to survive. They can't be, you know, live on investment funds for the rest of their life. So you can kind of see mm-hmm. that kind of hap- that being fine. But it's like it's it's ironic that they're called open AI, where whereas they're not necessarily open. They are a bit closed, and they are a bit it's kind a of, of propaganda one on one, right? Yeah. <laughs> Is, right? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think no, I think I think nice list on on balance. I think that uh, the concern in the back of my mind, just as a fan of this technology, would be that hopefully it continues the research, continues sharing its learnings and work, continues the charity side of things, and doesn't get too carried away with the commercial stuff. Um, so, building on that, then the uh, IBM and Meta this week have signed an agreement with 
a bunch of different companies. Um, NVIDIA, I think, is on there. Lenovo, I think, is on there. 50 other companies to form the, uh, what it's called, the AI Alliance. Oops. The AI Alliance, which uh, is... Oh, I did see that. Yeah, it's like you did, the yeah. super friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and so the job, of, the the goal of that is um, they say to try and bring some balance to the coverage of AI and to work on making AI truly open, to make innovation truly open. You know, Meta's released a bunch of open source models. Uh, I don't think IBM. I don't know whether IBM has released open source models or not, but it's definitely working on some stuff. So, but it, it sounded in the press release that I read that it sounds a little bit like they're getting a bit fed up with all of the attention OpenAI is getting. So now they want to come together and try and sort of yeah, tackle it. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so I don't know whether I, I would probably I wouldn't know where to put the uh, the AI alliance on the not your nice list because it's very early days. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on it. Mm. Uh, I got to be careful what I say here, right? Because these these are also partners of ours, but um, and and the people we do business with are are we're, we're fond of. Um, I would say that IBM and Meta both have some naughty things in the past that they have to pay for, you know, that they have to atone for. So I will say they were quite naughty um, in this market in the past. You know, I kind of joked about Watson a little bit to start, and um, if they if the if the alliance is also going to want to change the sort of nomenclature and the way we even talk about this and make it pragmatic and easier for people to understand. You know, I, that's also kind of funny when we talk about open AI, like, you know, well, look at the way you all have, have sort of talked about this, whether it be, you know, Facebook sits a chair. Anyway, uh, but so, uh, so for me, I would say have some naughty things in the past, this on the surface, maybe it's another arms race to see who's going to start the council first, right? Um, and is, is, you know, is it going to, it's almost like I said, superheroes. Is it DC and Marvel and they're each going to have a version of the Avengers and the X-Men or I don't know, you know the Super Friends, the Hall of Justice. Uh, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say naughty past. I'm hoping they make the nice list in 2023 and 2024 because of this last ditch effort and this is done in the right way. How does yeah. that sound? That sounds good. I think Meta specifically, and like I would probably put Meta on the nice list because they they do contribute a lot to the open source community. You know, the Llama model mm-hmm. from March this year is, is you know lots of people have been building some interesting stuff with that. Um, so I think that that philosophy of being open in this particular area for Meta, it's not so bad because there's such a big, massive, wealthy company that like you can kind of play the responsibility and openness kind of uh, AI card. I- IBM is interesting because obviously that is more commercially driven. So we'll kind of see how that goes. But yeah, I think I agree. What, what about the rest of big tech then? You know, there's the, the other kind of like four or five big tech companies. Apple are traditionally quiet on this stuff as they always yeah. are. They were very quiet yeah. in the voice assistant sort of realm and that. Google have released some things, a fast follower again, because they typically are a fast follower in this kind of stuff. Microsoft investing heavily in open AI, really, really bullish on AI, releasing a whole bunch of enterprise capabilities and end user products. And then you've got kind of Amazon kicking around, uh, doing as best as it it can, you know, bedrock and stuff like that. And and, they're all kind of trying. Um, So generally speaking, big tech as a category, uh, is that generally on the naughty list or nice list? from the last year. I want you to go first. I, I would probably say, it's funny, like with OpenAI, I feel like maybe we should have had buckets where it's like, uh, almost like a CSAT survey. Are they frequently nice? Sometimes nice? <laughs> yeah. You know, frequently naughty, always naughty, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would, 
it, it's the same kind of thing where I'm kind of like, it, there's always an ebb and flow with those folks, right? And and I think it's tough for me to group them together right now because, like, for example, I'll, I'll do a positive one first. Google, I, I went to an AI governance conference in October in Manhattan at Google's headquarters with uh, a company called Calibra that's like data AI and data governance. And the way Google was talking about not just AI governance, but the way they were talking about um, the way they viewed LLMs and not even their own relative to B2C versus B2B and what does a consumer LLM look like and what are the safety rails around that compared to a business-to-business LLM. It at least gave me the idea that they're thinking about things in real terms that made me happy. So so lately, Google has been trending nice for me, for sure. Um, But, you know, I, I, I still, I always worry how much, what is open, how open is open really going to be? Um, mm. And I'm curious to see that with some of the other big players. Um, so I'll just pull Google out to be positive uh, that, that they've been feeling um, nice to me lately. Yeah, that's fair enough, fair enough. What about the uh, the sort of the big consultancies, you know, the the the, the largest, the top five consultancies of the world, you know, the, the PwCs, yeah. Deloitte's, that kind of stuff. Like they are, I've seen a lot of stuff coming from, from them, um, definitely embracing this technology. They've got access to all of the world's biggest companies as as potential clients uh big opportunity for not just them but also for the companies they're working with i'm not necessarily that close to what they're doing in detail but i do know that you know i know the pwc have been doing some really great work with sherry combs and stuff like that and, and yeah. delight is always kind of on the ball um yeah. McKinsey is really actually a really, really good piece of research, um, which yeah. I've been quoting quite a lot recently on on the job market and the impact of AI on the job market and stuff like that, which uh, didn't sugarcoat anything, which was quite interesting. So, yeah, yeah, I, I would say they're skewing nice, actually, but I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, I would say that um, this year, sometimes they've skill, they've, they've skewed um, silly rather mm. than naughty or nice. I feel like, you know, some of the predictions or the rush, there's such, there's this cadence of rush to predict yeah, and give a target date for a thing to happen and make it startling so you talk to them and download the research. Yeah. And I feel like the ones who have shifted from that and made it more about, you know, analyzing what's in front of us right now, you know, I, I often read, what's this website called? It's called uh, Punks and Poets or Punks and... Uh, I'll say that after the call too, but, you know, talk about the difference between a thought leader and an expert, right? A, a, an expert has scar tissue and has gone through some stuff and wants to help you not go through the same things or get through the things you're going through. And thought leaders oftentimes are just kind of spitting out ideas, right? I, I tend to lean expert over a thought leader. And I think the people that really don't have the pragmatic expertise and aren't touching these things and aren't talking to buyers and customers and things like that, or seeing these deployments or playing with generative AI, those folks are doing that same thought leader cadence of, by this date, you'll have a robot, you'll have Rosie Jetson or whatever the case may be sitting in your apartment, you know, and, and that isn't helpful anymore. Like mm-hmm. when you talk about changing the stop doing that. And so the ones that I've been, that have been nicer that haven't been silly, because I wouldn't say it's naughty are the ones that have realized we even need to pivot the way we do this because shoot, I can create a GPT that can replace a lot of that research tomorrow and that can do the same thing. Like, so it's almost like consultants could be replaced by GPT um, most more easily than almost anyone. Yeah. Right. So now it's okay. So, so what does this mean for the way you look at things? What I'm excited about is, I think, again, I talked about sort of everyone being involved in this now. And there's a lot of people who 
some of their thought leadership, like people like Tom Goodwin, is based around poking holes in sort of, hey, this is this is the salient truth in this around this noise. And seeing folks like that get in the mix on this, adding to the McKinsey's, the Accenture's, the whomever, the Deloitte, the Ernst & Young's is really going to help. Ultimately, the ones that are going to be nice in 2024 are the ones that aren't worried about um, making multiple millions of dollars, putting 75 consultants at a brand for three months, and the ones that are actually looking to help people navigate this new path. And I think that's also what has me excited about where we've gone with the innovation because no longer can you operate like that as a consultancy. So I would say a lot of them have been silly this year, not, not necessarily naughty, but silly. And, um, but they are trending nice because people are realizing we even have to pivot the cadence and the way we look at these things. You know, people like Christina McAllister at Forrester, I'll shout her out because I think she's fantastic. Um, there, there are people seeing things in the right ways where they're, they're not thought leaders, they're truly experts. And, it, and when they're not experts, they're trying to bring experts into the research. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I will call out Gartner and put them on more, more skew towards the naughty list because uh, they predicted this year that by the end of 2024, 70% of digital communication will be with AI avatars. Uh, <laughs> I've never spoken to an AI avatar yet, and it's kind of I my know, job to do so. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Very true. Fair enough. Uh, we touched on regulatory bodies, government bodies, like other government, generally speaking, not just the US government, but like global government as they're approaching AI uh, governance and things like that. Are they skewing towards a naughty list or nice list? I think they're skewing naughty, but I will asterisk it with naughty due to complacency not naughty due to nefarious reasons, which is usually why a government is naughty. Mm. Um, I, I would say that just a, unless they're hiding, right, which right, they could be, but both both sides of the pond, I'm just kind of like, it, it just feels way too complacent. Now, listen, there are huge fish to fry in this world. We don't need to go into geopolitical maneuverings and what's going on, but holy shit, the world's crazy right now. Um, but man, this is a big one, and I would like a, I would like to see Governments get involved in ways that show they're not being complacent. Um, you know, certainly here in the U.S., whenever you see anyone in the tech field speak in front of Congress, you you just it just creates ten thousand memes, and you just it, it's either laugh it either makes you laugh or makes you cry because the disconnect between the people interviewing the people from Congress and the people answering the questions is just so wide and vast. Um, but we need sort of the appropriate people in government and regulatory bodies cross-nationally to look at things in ways that, that don't, again, that they're not being lazy about it. They're not being complacent about it and try to even figure out what they don't know, you know, before they even try to solve the problems or try to solve or forecast for what regulatory and compliance safety is going to be. Mm, yeah. The, uh, it is whenever they do one of those hearings on whatever topic it is, you know, I always remember the one with Mark Zuckerberg from, I think it was last year, yeah. And it was just like the people didn't like one of the questions he was getting asked. I think Mark Zuckerberg actually responded with, Sir, do you know what we do or something like that? It was like it was yeah. such a stupid question. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, so, that's the one. It's funny. I was, it's the same one I was thinking about in my head as yeah. I was talking about what those interviews look like 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Uh, all right. What what about the the kind of like, I know that, you know, we've been talking a lot about enterprises adopting AI and stuff like that, but there's been quite a lot of sort of like customer facing AI products that have been released, not necessarily just this year, some this year, but like we could probably include certain elements of ChatGPT. So let's start with um, 
GPTs, third-party plugins, if you like, for ChatGPT. Basically, you, yeah. you can build applications on ChatGPT. Is, is that a, a nice thing or a naughty thing? Nice. What I'm worried about is, so I love the GPT plugins. I thought that was awesome. When the GPT store came out afterwards, I, I see that now when I read or I try to figure it out, it seems like there's a Venn diagram. They're trying to figure out how they will work together. But I, I see that, you know, um, GPT plugins were more for the things I care about, like enterprises and companies and brands being able to create some amazing plugins to re- to use GPTs, right? And then G- custom GPTs in the GPT store feels like, you know, a poor man's version of the Apple App Store where it's like you, laymen and, and, and sort of people out there in the world will be able to create custom GPTs for different mm-hmm. things and then try to monetize them. I'm not confident that those will be monetized super well yet, in my opinion, just because I feel like what you – and it's just, it's going to be a lot of stuff that everyone can do. I don't see how you're going to differentiate in the GPT store the way I see it right now, the way it looks when I look at it. Whereas the plugins, I thought there could be incredible differentiation. So for me, it's overall nice, but I liked plugins and that release more than I liked GPT store, how they work together, which I'm not getting my hands dirty enough to know how they work together and what you can do will dictate if it stays nice, because yeah. then, then I'm really excited if it works if the store will work with the plugins in a similar way, not, not to be sort of super simple yeah. about it. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's it's almost as if it's a bit of a... I said before that, that OpenAI are just playing the same card as Amazon played with Alexa and mm-hmm. probably that Apple played with, with mobile, which is, you know, the, 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 the story in the playbook is exactly the same. Yeah. Release it to hobbyist developers, let them build onto the platform. You will end up creating kind of a load of, you know, not great stuff in there, but yeah. there'll be some of it that is okay. What? <laughs> Art, Artie's trying to get in. Uh, you will end up creating a bunch of stuff that is not perfect great. Time. Perfect timing, yeah. You'll yeah. end up creating a bunch of stuff that's not great. You'll create some stuff that is that is decent enough. Protected IP is a challenge because, you know, unless someone is going to, I don't know, if you're an author, a book author, and you can upload your books into there, then fair enough. But I don't, I don't see how it's how that is necessarily a a longer term protectable kind of yep. thing, especially actually given that actually depending on how you prompt it, there's a way that you can get access to the data that the kind of GPT builder has uploaded onto their GPT. I don't know if that's, that's been fixed yep. yet or not, but there's a backdoor basically. So it's a it's an interesting concept, interesting play. But uh, yeah, we'll see. And you're spot on. Think about how like I'm so bummed the way Alexa turned out. And Alexa skills turned out when you think about uh, like yeah. think about the voice conference in 2019 the one we went to last year together yeah. in 2019 it was just Alexa skills and I was yeah. like hey this should be more contact center focused like that that thing in your kitchen had the promise to be the way we all connect with each other yeah but it never really was truly open that's what I mean about about sort of the store versus the plugin you weren't really building things in Alexa you were building yeah. a veneer of how to use Alexa, right? Right. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good descriptor, but you weren't getting into the language models. You weren't no. getting into truly extensible elements of it. It was this skill does this. It was almost like you know, it was just it was just a simple bot skill. But even you just could never hack it in a way that yeah. was truly customizable. And that's why, to me, one of the reasons why I never took off um, or didn't get to where everyone thought. Think about all the startups that used to be like. 
Alexa skill folk that now had to either figure out a different business or they just died. They, they thought it was going to be huge. So to me, that's what I worry about with store versus plugin. Like it's not just nomenclature to me. If it's plugins and it's truly open and truly about extensibility and about empowering you to build things, that excites me. If it's just a store and just another place where you have to do it a certain way and it's just different flavors or different colors of jerseys, then I, that's not as exciting to me and that's disappointing. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, uh, couldn't have said it better. And that seems to be where it's heading a little bit, but it, which I hope it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I hope the plug-in side of things is, as you say, you know, uh, there is a good recipe there, uh, especially if you can plug into you know, enterprise applications. The thing that really held Alexa yeah. back was the fact that it was so closed. You couldn't get yeah. access to it. They, act- they wouldn't even tell you the confidence score on the NLU. You wouldn't tell you, they wouldn't give yeah. you the customer utterance. Um, yeah. and, and then the one thing that hindered a lot of things, I think, was that you couldn't escalate to a live phone number from within <laughs> an Alexa skill. If you could yeah. do that, just that alone would have been completely yeah. revolutionary you know, every every person who's building the voice assistant for their contact center or chatbot for their website would quite easily just deploy that onto Alexa as long as you've got the ability to connect to someone when it goes wrong. Because when it goes wrong, the whole experience fails. Not just that skill is a load of rubbish, but Alexa is a load of rubbish and the whole thing comes tumbling down. So yeah, hopefully OpenAI can leave, learn that. That's for those big folks I'm always wondering. Are you dabbling in contact center or just doing it so you sell $75 million of cloud storage? Yeah. Or are you really doing it? You know, and, and most aren't really doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, let's see what that? happens in the next is year. It? Yeah, that's brilliant. So is, Maybe, Artie, is Artie the bell? Is Artie calling time? Is, I think it must be, yeah. He's, he's <laughs> no, no, yeah. on the door. He's probably asking where the elf's gone. Every every morning an elf leaves him a little present in this advent calendar, so he's... I've hidden it, so he's probably wondering what's going on. Uh, yeah, so so yeah, let's maybe let's do this again next year. Let's see who's on the naughty yes. nice list. Uh, we would be wrong not to do a podcast with you in the in the calendar year of 2024, given that we've made one pretty much every year since. Uh, but yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, and I, I, I'll, I'll I'll put all the links into the show notes for for Verant and stuff like that, so people can go and check it out. Uh, your LinkedIn and stuff like that, I'm sure. People happy can, holidays, uh, happy new year, love you. to your family, best to everyone who watched. If you gave us an hour, holy smokes, thank you. This time of year, that's incredible. If you watch it later, uh, thanks as always for having me, Ken. You've been a great supporter and uh, love everything you're doing. Likewise. All the best, Frank. Speak soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers now. Bye.